Welcome to Conversations Live. For more than a decade, we've brought you the best in books, entertainment, celebrity interviews, and current events. When the movers and shakers of the world have something to say to you, they say it to us first. Here's your host, Cyrus Webb. Welcome back, everyone, to Conversations Live. I'm your host, Cyrus Webb. Glad you all could join us once again. But for a radio audience tuning in at WYAD 94.1 FM and WYADonline.com, we're glad that you all can be with us. Also, just joining us for online affiliates around the world, we're glad that you all could be with us as well. When we hear the word war, it's something that I think a lot of us have become so desensitized to because it seems like it's something that is always going on. And that means then we don't always think about the impact of the wars around us, those both foreign and domestic. Our next guest, though, has written a book that really, I think, puts it front and center and makes us really think about our own role in it. Now, we're excited to welcome author Norman Solomon to our broadcast. His new book is called War Made Invisible, How America Hides the Human Toll of Its Military Machine. And I will say, what I really appreciated about reading this book is that this is not a party line a conversation. This is something, I think, that makes us look at the country as a whole, the world as a whole, and also our own role in it. We're going to talk to Norman not only about that, but also what it's like for him to pull together this amazing uh, research in history and what he wants you as readers to be able to take away from it as well. Norman, thank you again for the time. Really do appreciate it. Oh, thanks so much, Cyrus. So, Norman, I have to say, when this book was first pitched to me, I was I was interested in the topic, but it wasn't until I actually got to reading about it, I thought, wow, this is a lot deeper than I was thinking. So what has it been like for you already, Norman? And I know this is a conversation that you've been having even before this book released, but what has it been like for you to see the response to War Made Invisible? It's been really gratifying because a lot of what I was after was to go at, as you say, some of the deeper aspects of war. You know, I think you're quite right that we are desensitized to what war really is. The word kind of floats by in news media and so forth. And so for me, after working really on my own, uh, doing interviews and research, uh, the book um, came out uh, in June of this year. And the inner thinking and emotions that I've had in working on it suddenly I've been able to share it. And so for the most part, the responses have been, wow, this is something to really think about and to feel about, that it's not just a cerebral mental trip, that it is something that is about who we are as people. And so very much transcends, as you referred to, transcends party line. The book's not about party line. It is about human beings and what happens from war and what we are doing, even if we're not aware of it, as Americans, what is happening in our names with our tax dollars. And when you mentioned about Party Line, I thought about immediately a 70-year-old girl I met in Afghanistan in 2009, and she was a refugee from southern Afghanistan in Helmand province. I met her in the capital city of Kabul, and she only had one arm because of a bomb that fell in her neighborhood when she was asleep. And that bomb was paid for in part by me because I'm a U.S. taxpayer, and Mm. she did not care in the slightest whether the president who ordered the war was a Democrat or Republican, it made absolutely no difference to her. And I think that's an important reality 
for us to keep in mind. Yeah, I agree, Norman. And I think, too, there's a, a few things about the book that kind of gave me some personal pause. One, of course, my being in the media now the past 20 years, I'm also the news director here for the radio side here in Mississippi. And, and I think sometimes even in the stories that I cover, you know, a lot of times, again, we, we cover these stories and we get this information, but how much of the information is the whole story? You kind of address that in the book and sometimes even our interest in that, how some stories don't get covered because they're not seen to be of interest. Was that a surprise for you or do you think it is an expected progression of where we are now when it comes to the issue of war and the toll of war? Unfortunately, I think that it is routine and having been a journalist uh, for Oh, 40, 40 plus years now. I unfortunately have become accustomed to this as you might say a news consumer as well as a reporter and a newspaper columnist. And that is that we're pretty much like everybody else. We go to work, we have a job to do, we have to pay our rent or our mortgage or whatever, and we have limitations on our time and our capacity to really rock the boat, because if you rock it too much, you might be in the drink before you know it. And so we have limitations. And in other countries, there are certain dictatorships where if you were a journalist and you step out of line, you might end up in prison or worse. In the United States, that's not the case, but we have other pressures. We have financial, we have peer pressures, we have what the definitions of professionalism are. And in terms of covering of war, really, whether it is overt or not, the window on the world that we're encouraged to provide to the public, to the readers, listeners, and viewers, is tinted red, white, and blue. And that is not the way the world is seen by most people. After all, 96% of the people on this planet don't live in the United States. And so yeah. if we're going to truly report independently, we need a global view, a view that takes humanity seriously on its own terms. Yeah. And and, and this is where I think there will be a conflict, if, if not externally, uh, Norman, definitely internally. And I think a great example of what you write about in the book is – what has happened with Afghanistan. And I want to read a bit of this because I think for our audience, when I got to this part, the chapter Humane Wars, it's on page 108 and 109 for those who have the hardcover edition of the book. But this is what you wrote. Now, we have had, of course, the whole conversation about how some people felt about you know, Bush going into war and all of that. But then, of course, when it came to what was left behind and what was done, even coming to 2021, which, of course, would be under the Biden administration as we're looking at it, this is what you say. It was acceptable to the U.S. government, which blocked and withheld desperately needed help rather than protect Afghan people from starvation. It was as if after riding in on apocalyptic horses of war for 20 years, the United States was willing to give a wink and a nod to other horsemen of the apocalypse famine and persistent death. Now, that is something I'm sure people will read that and think, wow, I didn't think about it that way because they're not thinking about the people, right? They're just thinking about America's interests. Was that part of why you decided to share some of what you shared to kind of get us to see this is bigger than us to the point you were just making, that it's not just about the United States. It's about those that are impacted by decisions that those in the United States make. Absolutely. It's about who are we as 
individuals, as a society, as a country. And really, it seems to be when the narratives from the mass media are coming across about us. And very often when there's a narrative coming through TV, radio, newspapers in the U.S., especially the mass media, when there's a discussion of what happens in the Middle East or elsewhere, it's how will this affect the United States? And that's a very myopic point of view. And even worse than just how is this going to affect the United States, that doesn't even really truly apply to the people of the United States writ large. It's about certain economic and political elites, those in Wall Street, those with the fossil fuel industry at the top, those in Congress, those who have internalized the idea that the United States has the right to work its will, including militarily, intervening in different countries if the economic and political interests are threatened. But it's not our interests. It's not the interests of working people. It's not the interests of children and the elderly. It's the interest of these large corporations that are, for instance, at the top of the fossil fuel industry, helping to destroy the climate while reaping huge profits and wanting to have a good relationship with dictators in Saudi Arabia, for instance, where there's so much oil. And it's also about a way in which these elites tell us that their interests are our interests. And that's a lot of the problem that has come across in the last several decades in terms of these wars, because we keep being told by the mass media, by people in the White House, by the leaders in Congress, that the United States has to go to war again and again. But for what purpose and for whose benefit? That is a question that my book really tries to address. And I think, to the idea of something else that we've been covering a lot, well, I have here on the news side here in, on the station, Norman, and that is the casualties that come back. And you talk about that tra- that that tragedy when it comes to PTSD and the the cases. I think the the one family, the Bannerman family, it, it comes to mind. And I think it, it's one of those things again we don't think about, right? The aftermath, the consequences. Was that also part of what you hope kind of came out of this too, is, is that it wasn't just a one and done. It wasn't like something, a conflict happened, you know, the soldiers that lived came home and all was well, that there were lasting repercussions um, for, for the wars that they were involved in. Oh, absolutely. The invisibility of U.S. wars is not only beyond the United States borders. It is at home in the short term and the long term. I think that there's an expression that really applies here. What goes around comes around. When the United States inflicts so much violence elsewhere in the world, it does so not only harming the people there, but physically and psychologically brings home people who are injured, and sometimes uh, they have died, back to our own communities. And so, for instance, people who want to get a good college education, sometimes they feel forced to join the military. There's a de facto economic draft, even though there's not a formal conscription, and they are taught to kill. They are taught to use firearms, to use guns. And frankly, there's a lot of talk, and I support it, this talk about the need for gun control. What about gun control at the Pentagon? It is absurd, and the news media encourage us by omission to believe, it's absurd to think that we can teach millions of people to be trained to kill, 
and then to use guns in that purpose and then to come home and then suddenly all of them are going to forget all about it. Uh, Their muscle memory will be completely purged of it. That's silly. That doesn't happen. Unfortunately, it doesn't happen because sometimes that training comes back and harms people at home. There's increased domestic violence among people who have suffered from PTSD. hundred years ago, it was called shell shock. We have victims of U.S. wars who are Americans right now. And I think in terms of the economic spending, $850 billion a year just to the Pentagon, let alone for nuclear weapons. And meanwhile, whether you're in Mississippi, New York, California, where I live, anywhere else, you can go to virtually any community and you will find there people who are suffering from lack of resources for health care, education, housing, infant care, elderly care. I think of what Martin Luther King Jr. said in 1967. He said this spending for the military is, and I'm quoting here, a destructive demonic suction tube. That was 1967. Here in 2023, that demonic suction tube is still operating. Yeah, such a a great point. And it's such a great thing for us to know again when it comes to this history. I want to say for those, and I should say, uh, not too distant history, because as I mentioned, the book, you know, even covers some events um, leading up to 2021 that were noteworthy for sure. Uh, I want to say for those who are just tuning in, is on the radio side or online, you're listening to Conversations Live. Norman Solomon is our guest for this segment. We're discussing his book. You all can tell it's fascinating. War Made Invisible, How America Hides the Human Toll of Its Military Machine. You know, uh, Norman, I have to say, I, my radio audience knows this. I'm an optimist. Uh, I've never considered myself to be a conspiracy theorist, but after reading this book, I have to be honest with you, you can almost see why so many people have so much distrust of government. Is that something you've heard before? Absolutely, and it's very understandable. I think that what we're dealing with in terms of what's been called the warfare state or what Uh, The former general and outgoing president, Dwight Eisenhower, in 1961 called the military-industrial complex. This is definitely not a conspiracy. It's something deeper than a conspiracy. It is structural. It's not because there's a few bad people who get in a smoke-filled room and decide bad stuff. That might happen, but you could get rid of those people, and you would still have the same basic structure of tremendous profiteering for war. The profit for war is enormous from these military contractors. And I don't call them defense contractors. I call them military contractors. And so when we go deeper into this, we have an opportunity to say, we can make change. We can create reforms that are not just superficial, but go really deep. And so I hope for not only from my book, War Made Invisible, but from so many efforts from so many people around the United States and the world that we can find ways to demilitarize. And I have to say that's not only with U.S. foreign policy. It's at home. I have a section in the book talking about what the Pentagon calls its 1033 program, where weapons of war are given to police forces around the country. And in the last few years, with we had the Black Lives Matter demonstrations, I know that in my community, among thousands, we were out marching 
Black Lives Matter, protesting institutional violence, talking more and more as we must about systemic violence that is racial and racist. It is systemic racism that people have become more aware of, not aware enough of, but certainly there's been an increase and it's a real good thing in discourse. One of the points I make in the book is that we are encouraged by omission to believe that systemic racism only affects domestic policy. I think that's nonsense. Uh, the idea that all of U.S. government agencies and so forth and U.S. news media um, have only a bias uh, that is systemic racism for domestic policies, um, it doesn't in reality end at the water's edge. And so to sort of wrap it up, this point that I say very clearly in the book, the U.S. government does not bomb countries because people of color live there. But the fact that people of color live there makes it easier for the United States to begin and continue warfare on those countries. And the reason has very much to do with individual and institutional racist bias inside the United States. Yeah, such a great point and such a necessary conversation. I have to ask you about timing because, again, I kept bringing up 2021. You even talked about some events, Norman, from 2022. What is the time frame that it took you in working on this book? Well, the, the time frame for me has been, you know, aggregate. Um, I uh, had been thinking about these issues for a long time. I did get to go uh, to Iraq before the war, uh, 2002, and the beginning of 2003 as a journalist. I've been to Iran and, as I mentioned, in Afghanistan. And I think the timing is crucial. Uh, it would always be an important area to delve deeply into. But we are at a crisis point in the United States. We have a struggle for democracy in this country. I make a point that a lot of the mentality that led to the assault on the Capitol on January 6, 2021, is a militaristic mentality. Though the Proud Boys and Oath Keepers and other leaders of that assault on democracy, they were disproportionately military veterans. And in fact, uh, President, uh, uh, former President uh, Donald Trump really tried to be an authoritarian leader. He tried to be the commander of anti-democratic forces. And so the point I make in the book is that what happened on January 6th was in many ways an extension of endless war. Because when you think about it, the idea that war is justified because Whatever you can do, no matter what you want to do to get your way, you should do it. Even if it uh, breaks all the rules, as long as the warfare is successful and triumphant, then it's worth doing. It justifies the end, justifies the means. Well, that's really exactly the mentality of those who assaulted the Capitol on January 6th. Wow. It is an important conversation, Norman, and I'm glad we have a book like yours to be able to discuss it. Again, everyone, Norman Solomon has been our guest. War Made Invisible is the title, How America Hides the Human Toll of Its Military Machine. It's, an, it's a book that is definitely worth your time. Very easy to read uh, in the way that it's written, but I tell you, the, the facts as it's laid out here and the examples really, I think, do give you pause. It is available through our friends at Amazon.com or through your favorite local bookstore. It is published by the New Press. Norman, I really appreciate you stopping by. How can our audience stay connected with you? 
Oh, I'd love to hear from people. Uh, we have a website, warmadeinvisible.org, and I can be reached that way. All right. Well, Norman, thank you again for the time. Really do appreciate it. Looking forward to speaking with you again. Thanks a lot, Cyrus. More than welcome. And we thank your audience for tuning in to another great segment of Conversations Live. Until next time, I'm your host, Cyrus Webb, saying as always, enjoy your day, enjoy your life, enjoy your world. Thank you all for choosing Conversations Live, and let's go make today amazing. Take care. <music> 